You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Neil Gaiman, the author of the New York Times bestselling A View from the Cheap Seats, The Ocean at the End of the Lane, The Graveyard Book, Coraline, Neverwhere, and the Sandman series of graphic novels, among other works. His fiction has received Newbery, Carnegie, Hugo, Nebula, World Fantasy, and Will Eisner Awards. His novel, American Gods, will be a TV series airing in 2017. Originally from England, he lives in the United States where he is a professor at Bard College. Neil joins me today in the recording studio where he is recording his new audiobook, Norse Mythology, which has been described as an almost novelistic retelling of famous myths about the gods of Asgard. The book will explore the nine Norse worlds, which are populated by elves, fire demons, the Varnir gods, humans, dwarves, giants, and the dead. Norse Mythology publishes on February 7th in print and ebook from W.W. Norton and in audio from Harper Audio. Welcome, Neil. Thank you, Onimer. It's very good to see you. It really is. I want to start our conversation by reading a blurb about Norse mythology, and it's it's not from a fellow writer of fiction or nonfiction. It's it's not from a, a, a review publication, but it's from the chair of the program of folklore and mythology at Harvard University, Maria Tatar, who says, "Who else but Neil Gaiman could become an accomplice of the gods, using the sorcery of words to make their stories new?" The author of American Gods transforms the Norse myths into addictive reading for young and old with high-wattage retellings that preserve the monumental grandeur of the Nordic universe, but also turn it into a world that is up close and personal, full of antic wit and dark intrigue. What is it about these myths that you find so compelling and inspirational? I have loved them since I was a child. Um, the first time I actually ran into the myths in their, their proper, um, clean form was a man called Roger Lanceling Green, who, um, did a, a Tales of the Norsemen, Myths of the Norsemen, story for kids. I think it was published by Penguin, by Puffin, which was the junior penguin. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. I didn't even own a copy. I owned his Egyptian tales from ancient Egypt. Um, but the the Norse myths was my friend Stephen, who lived down the road, and I would go down and go down to his house. Go down to his house and read his book and come back. And I think eventually he wound up giving it to me just to because I would keep going to his house to read about Thor and Loki hiding in a giant mitten. Um, you know, all of the, all of the stories. I loved them. Um, I ran into them again when I was in my twenties. Uh, Kevin Crossley Holland, uh, did a retelling for the, the Penguin Myths Mm -hmm. series. And it was, they were so beautiful and so dark and so powerful. And that was what inspired me to drag the Norse gods into Sandman, um, uh-huh. where they they lingered 
in there. Why do you suppose, in, in my experience, the Americans are less familiar with these tales than, say, Grimm, who we may have all had, that sort of junior Grimm Tales book, the illustrated Grimm Tales. Why do you suppose that is? I really don't know. I think part of it is there hasn't been in America a single fantastic volume aimed at, I guess, younger readers. Yeah. Um, all ages, or let's let's at least say all ages. All ages, yeah. Um, and the lack of that it's is what's done it, yeah. It, because you can't start with the prose editors. Yeah. Uh, you know, Snorri Sturluson and or the poetic editors. The, the, these were people who put together collected stories, poems, a thousand years ago. Yeah. So they were were they originally written, Neil, or were they originally spoken? And at what time were they written or spoken? And who received them originally? So myths are fascinating because myths tend to start out as two things. They start tend to start out as religion, uh-huh. worldview, uh-huh. and um, then they also become the stories that sort of accrete around religion. And very often the stories last as stories, as tales after the belief systems have gone. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with the Norse. Um, you start out with the religions of some Germanic tribes. Um, they go north. They go north into Scandinavia. Um, they absorb other belief systems. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's fascinating about the um the 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 way that this works is you have the Aesir um and the Vanir, these two gods who they they were the two tribes of gods, two worlds of gods who long ago fought a battle and decided came to a truce, and a bunch of Vanir gods like Frey and Freya came to live with the Aesir. And um, you go, well, that must have been an analog of something that actually yeah. happened. You have to have had the people who worshipped the Vanir, these these fertility gods with brother and sister gods and goddesses um, who seem to have been probably sexually united and, and it was some kind of weird rather more naturey system, and then you had the warlike Aesir, and the Aesir come up from Germany, and somewhere they win. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't win entirely. They subsume the Vanir into their system and take over their stories and take over the local right. stories and absorb the local gods. So you've got that going on. But the truth is, I, I've said that in a authoritative way. I've said it as if I know what I'm talking about. And the truth is, we can guess. And, we and, can hypothesize, but we don't know because there wasn't, the, we don't have written stuff right. really from, um, from the time when this was happening. What we have is stuff after Christianity had taken over, after it had stopped being a religion. Um, yeah, and only a small number of the myths survived, correct? Exactly. We yeah. have, I mean, again, it's that thing of you don't know what you don't have. Right. We know there are stories that we do not have because we do not have the stories, and there are references to them. Mm. So we can point to, you know, the story of 
Freya and the bracings and the necklace that she was given, and um, how Hemdal Loki stole it from her, and Hemdal battled with with Loki to get it back. We we know all that stuff, right? Um, because it's referred to in mm-hmm. other stories. We don't. It's stories we don't have, but it's mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we definitely don't know is the stories that aren't mentioned, that aren't obliquely referenced in right. other stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know that there is a much larger cast of characters than we have stories for. For me, the biggest omission is the women. Yeah, There are many, many named goddesses. Where we uh, don't have the details. But we have no stories. Occasionally yeah. they will pop up in somebody else's story, you know, in, in lists of names or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or they will be robing Thor as he is sent off in unconvincing drag to marry a frost giant in order to get his hammer back. But we don't know their stories, and it's as if all we had of Greek and Roman stories were the labors of Hercules and the tales of Theseus and a couple here and there. But you're going, well, you... You need it. Yeah. And we've been we've been talking about it sort of strictly on a, a sort of broader academic level. But as I understand it, you know, one can also l- look at these tales as as sort of a way to make sense of your life, you know, and used in a very sort of practical way. Do you see it that way as well? I think that's true of all myth. Yeah. Um, I think the joy for me of of any good solid mythic or mytho-religious structure is you can you can use it as a place to stand and see the world. Yeah. Um, I think you run into trouble when you take it too seriously. I think you run into trouble when you actually stand there and go, you know, obviously, in order to curry favor with Odin, I need to go out and murder a bunch of people and dedicate their deaths to him and hang them from a tree, and maybe I should do this the proper official way over nine nights hanging, you know, a, a dog and a cat and a sheep and and hanging a horse and hanging a cow and, and eventually winding up with a man because this is the proper way to do it. I don't recommend this. I think this is this would be taking it literally. But I do love the fact that all myths, all mythic structures give you a place to stand and view the world. And in the case of the Norse myths, um, it's a fascinating, very bleak way to look at the world. Most religions give you hope. And I I love that that the Norse worldview has significant... It's a little darker than that, yeah. It is. Your options in the Norse worldview tend to be, it's not even about living a good life. It's about having a good death in battle. Is that what you meant? Because I've read that you said that you've described the myths as always inevitable. And I wasn't sure what you meant by that. Well, there's a bunch of... Things I think what I really meant in Norse myth is that it's the one mythic structure. Christianity kind of gives you the book of, of the Revelation of St. John of Patmos, which is all a bit mad. And, um, you know, you, you, you are not under any obligation, as I understand, to sit there and go, yes, the, the beast of Abalon will come out and, you know, um, and Good Omens, my, my novel with Terry Pratchett was very much a way of saying, okay, what if this was true? What would yeah, it be yeah, like? Yeah. What, what would, would it be, be like? Yeah. Um, 
But most religions actually tend to end in hope. They end in good places. And with the Norse myths, you wind up, no matter how cool you are, no matter how important you are, you you wind up in Ragnarok. Yeah. You wind up in the final battle to the death. And pretty much everybody dies. You know, Thor dies, Odin dies, Tyr dies, Heimdall dies fighting Loki, and Loki dies fighting Heimdall. And all of the the noble dead who died nobly in battle and came to work, came to Valhalla where they've been feasting and fighting in the halls ever since, finally get to have the the last battle and are all dead and they're fighting these zombie hordes from hell and everybody's dead and it's all done. And this was very appealing to you as a child. (laughs) I think it was. I think I love the idea of, of, I think partly it's because ends make things work as stories. Mm. And Hmm. it's what the difference between a story and a soap opera. Yeah. Sometimes it's even the difference between a story and life. Is you go, what you know? It, it just keeps life. Just keeps going. Um, but the moment that you have an end, you have a it's structure. It's distinct to the story. You've said that these myths ran like a vein of silver through Sandman and were the bedrock of American gods. They also are very. They're very influential in Odd and the Frost Giant. And well, they are Odd and the Frost. I mean, Odd yeah, and well, the exactly. Frost Giant. So really influential is. that they basically are. I think it's really interesting how you, as an author, are very dexterous in terms of, of moving between writing for younger people and writing for older people. And that hearing about how early you came to these myths, it's it sort of, do you, do you think that they sort of um, helped you with that perspective of being able to, to sort of speak wisely to young people and vice versa? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I don't know that that has anything to do with it. Okay, good. Um, well, <laughs> but I love. I mean, it's a great question. I think if I'm if I'm a good writer for young readers, it was because I was a good reader as oh. a young reader, and it was also because I learned as a young reader what I liked and what I didn't like, and I got very aware of bad writing. Yeah, at a kids. young age, huh? I didn't like, and, and but what I thought saw as bad writing was what was was being talked down to, mm, right, being right, patronized. Right. There's a tone of voice. I would read books, and I would go, "You don't remember what it was like to be a kid. Your kids aren't kids. This isn't right. It's nothing like that." Um, weirdly, I think the closest I've ever managed to come to really recreating what it was like for me to be a kid and a kid reader, was The Ocean at the End of the Lane, which Mm. is an adult book. Mm. And why is Um, that? Why do you say that? I think partly it's because I loved the idea of actually having a seven-year-old protagonist who saw the world as I saw the world. Um, But also it's because I was trying to get the voice in that book as clean and uncluttered. I wanted it to be something that if you'd handed that book to seven-year-old Neil, he might have thought it was a weird book, and he he might have even been been bored by it, but he would have felt that it was true. He would have felt that there was an honesty in the depiction of his life. Yeah. And that was was... something that was important to me. Now, okay, great. So speaking of tone, when you 
I, I understand that these you've been working on this work for a number of years. But when you set out and you said, okay, I'm going to address the Norse myths, it, did you think of them as an interpretation, as an adaptation, as a retelling? Like, wh- how did you approach it? I approached it wanting to get it right. Well, in um, what sense? A couple of senses. First of all, I wanted to write a book where if you handed it to a professor of Norse studies anywhere in the world, they might have things they would quibble about, they might have things they would argue about, they might have things that they would go, no, 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 he's completely wrong, he is going off with these people, I am with these people, and my personal belief is absolutely this. But in terms of the rock-bottom what I was saying, they were going, no, he's, he's, I mean, yeah. he's technically right he's here, informed. but yeah. he's just, I'm, I, I will disagree with him. Um, I wanted to have that. I wanted to, to feel like I was correct. But I also wanted to do, particularly with the things that become stories, um, probably less so with the, with the more sort of rock bottom mythological stuff. There's yeah, not a lot of- you, when you're, when you're describing these are the nine worlds. When you're describing the creation, you are That's pretty straight ahead. You're very straight ahead. You're yeah. not. You're not improvising very much. Got it. You are. You're like a somebody who's going to be playing jazz, and you are basically just taking Writing that melody yeah. because that's the melody that you have to do at this point. Um, you wind up improvising once the stories start going, and you improvise very often. In the same way, for me, that one would tell a joke, hmm. or the same way that you would. Well, jazz, I think, is a perfect yeah. metaphor. You know, because my, jazz, you start with the notes on the page, and then you you go from there. Yeah. You know, my friend um, Penn Gillette and Paul Provenza made a movie called The Aristocrats, which is basically, you know, a, a hundred or so comedians telling the same Got it. dirty joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's, and, and, yeah. and Penn said that one of the reasons why they made the movie is they were talking about jazz and they wanted to actually show the way that improvisation goes off into, into life. I think for me, so much of these would be I would sit, I would read the story, I would read as many translations as I could find, I would be scouring my way all the way back to sort of ancient you know, Victorian translations on Project Gutenberg and things, and ah, so-and-so goes for this, so-and-so goes for that. Mm. This is the story. If I were going to tell it today, if I were going to tell it orally around the campfire, if I were going to write it as a short story, if I were going to do it, how do I tell that story? How do I make it work? And I sat down and wrote, um, I think one of the very, very first ones I did was probably, uh, actually was, uh, it's a story that I called Freya's Unusual Wedding, and it is Thor's hammer getting stolen, and Thor having to dress up in drag and go with Loki, who has transformed himself into a beautiful maiden, to the monstrous giants, and uh, where they think they are marrying, they think Thor is Freya, and she's going to marry Thrym, Right. The evil frost giant and all of the frost giants are going to get a little bit more than they bargained for. And that was just, by the time I'd finished writing that, 
And how long ago was that, Neil? Do you remember? It was several years ago, correct? It was quite a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think I started writing the book for real in 2012. Okay. So basically a four years it took me to write. The first word. And that was about four years after the initial lunch. Yes, I was going to say. Amy wanted... Cherry and I had lunch on <laughs> my birthday, which is how come I remember it, in 2008 yeah. and at Norton. And she... She's great. And she said, you know, we need we need retellings of myth. Would you like to do this? And I said yes. And then it took me four years to start. I put it off and I read, did the thing where you just keep reading. Yeah, yeah. And even then, when I would start, I was doing, you know, four stories a year and squeezing them in because I had other things. Ocean at the end of the lane. There was a giant author tour. There was yeah, all this stuff so going, much going on. on. And it was only as things started getting quieter. And how many stories are in the book, Neil? I can't remember. I have no idea. All right, well, we'll um, figure isn't that, that out fun? later. There are um, many of them. And I think there's about, fantastic. I don't know, 20 or so. A lot of them. There's, there's a lot. I didn't put in all of them. Um, you know, there were some, and also there were times when... I, when we have different versions of the stories, maybe we have one in yeah. the prose edda and one in the poetic edda, I would pick and choose. Yeah. Or at one point, I would, I would. There's, there's one where I go and mingle. Um, Thor and Tyr go off uh, to to try and con a giant out of a giant cauldron to make beer, and uh, mostly I take that from the prose edda, and yeah. then there's a chunk of that story in. in the poetic edda where. Thor goes off and has this amazing, with the giant, and they have this amazing fishing adventure where Thor is trying to catch the, the Jormungunda, the, the world serpent, uh, the Midgard serpent. And I thought, well, actually, I like this bit better. I like the rest of the other story better, so right, I'm going to take it. It's your prerogative. Exactly. There you go. So now, he, here we are, years later, the book is about to be published on February 7th, but here you are reading the audiobook, which is the most important thing and the most it's, fantastic thing. It is the first time in the history of me doing audiobooks, what? I've been doing them now for about 25 years, that I've ever had okay, I was about five to ask about this. giant <laughs> <Show> sheets <laughs> of paper. I'm showing this. Show There's everybody. one... These are, the, these are the translations. I mean, the three. pronunciation guys. And oh, my gosh. And, and what they are, um, aye, aye, aye. Caitlin Gehring, who Caitlin is Gehring. awesome, compiled them for me. And then, then you can see all the stuff in red is me scribbling on them. Um, because we, it's one thing to write this stuff. As I believe um, Harrison Ford famously said to George Lucas, but it's another thing to say it. And it's, one of the fascinating things with um, Norse mythology is on the one hand, you have words, you have names um, which have become anglicized yes. and which are solidly anglicized. Yeah. And on the other, we have names and words we don't use very much. And for those, we have the, 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 the Icelandic pronunciation normally. Um, what's nice was, was discovering that if I go for the Icelandic pronunciation, then the Norwegians, the Swedes, and the Danes, um, not to mention some of the Germans, all think I'm wrong anyway. Yeah, so there's that no was, pleasing everybody with this pronunciation no is what everybody. I've learned. And there's also no pleasing, and, and there's also 
a way where it's only logical up to a point. Yeah. Um, to fret about it. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You can't worry. I I did a thing the other day where um, yesterday reading where we have a giant whose name is spelt G I L L I N G, and which would be. Uh, you know, Gilling, and I had to go, well, okay, how are we going to pronounce his name? And I said, well, actually, the Icelandic way of doing that is T uh, two L's becomes essentially TL, so it would be oh. Gitling. Oh, wow. And, but we can't actually run that rule all the way through the book because Valhalla has to yep. be Valhalla. It can't be Got Valhalla, yep. which is yep. how it would be pronounced in the Icelandic. It, it's this... So there are places where everybody will get grumpy with me about pronunciation in this book, and it's like, we're sorry. we For each of these words, we needed to pick a pronunciation and kind of stick with it. Yeah. And so we are doing the best we can. And as I understand it, it sounds fantastic uh, so far. So now I want to step back a little bit. I haven't seen you in a long time, and there have been— a tremendous number of changes in your daily life in the last year or so. So, you know, in addition to having a young son with uh, Amanda Palmer, congratulations. Thank you. He's awesome. I know that. I'm, I'm so happy for you. And you, But you, you've also started teaching at Bard. I've been doing that for the last three years. Three in fact, years? This year, it's been that long? Th- it really has. Time goes so fast. I, I, and it's, I mean, I've been, in fact, I took this year off oh, I thought- from teaching <laughs> Because I've been because of having a having a baby and trying to write a new novel, I just went. I cannot do these and teach. Uh, so, but I'm going back next year. Um, time goes really fast. It, I remember your predecessor, who I will not name. Oh, um, why can't we name her, Carrie Kenya? She was. Oh, she was. Lo- Carrie was. She's lovely and she was brilliant. But I do remember her more or less quitting the field of audiobooks because she said to me, it's dead. It's, you know, that we're, we're back in 2002, 2003. And she was like, <laughs> and she said, you know, the thing is, they're yeah. going to be losing the car cassette because cars don't have cassettes anymore. And when the cassette is gone from the car, the audiobook is dead. We cannot work out the price break. It on was these a CD time. packs, we do. We we have these trying to put a put a book onto twenty CDs, and it's not going to happen. And when you came in, I remember it was it was a little it was a challenging time. And then the next time I saw you, and we're way way back, you had one of those old cigarette packet iPods. One oh, yeah, the, iPods, one of the earliest ones, the, sure. The, the, the iPods, they were big and I they were clunky that. and they were square. I still have it. And I remember you showed it to me and I went, okay, everything's changed. Game over. I remember. We, I actually remember that now too, Neil. I remember the office that we were in. And yeah. I, I think Merrily was with us. Merrily was with us. It was it was yeah. the, my, my yeah, yeah, lovely yeah. agent. She said it was the first time she'd even heard <laughs> of an iPod. She was like, <laughs> what all, is that thing? What we are you all kind of gathered around. And look at us now. Yeah, but it, but it and what was wonderful was... That moment of that conversation when we were in this shrinking and frustrating medium, I remember that was the point where you and I were trying to figure out ways to keep 
audiobooks I, working there was there was uh, we had one my biggest failure my biggest wrong guess in terms of things that you can do to fix what was going on um back then was putting was going mp3 cds oh, obviously well, and and we did mp3 we tried, that. We we tried, tried it we everything. did mp3 cds of american gods and, and that didn't sell so poorly actually it, and and a lot of people are are continuing to sell mp3 cds but remember the problem was it was the spine was so darn skinny because we had to think about where they were going to go and what shelf they were going to be yeah. on, and that's what that's what drove them. Well, and it was always the thing of I remember in nineteen ninety nine, something like that, two thousand, um, doing a long drive. I was going to be doing a three or four day drive to Florida and back, and going into my local. It wasn't even my local Barnes & Noble. It was a Barnes & Noble that I passed somewhere on the way and going in and wanting to buy an audiobook. Grabbing somebody by the shoulders and yeah, saying, where, is, where, where is are it? the audiobooks? And you find a shelf. In the and, back on the ground. And I think I bought Stephen King's Bag of Bones because it was the only thing that was long that I wanted to listen to, and it was unabridged, which was an incredible rarity at that point. But it was the shelf space. Nothing had the shelf space. And what's amazing now is with Audible and with all the other online ways to access audiobooks, there is infinite shelf space. We're back. I, I, get, I get offended now if something that I want to listen to doesn't have an audiobook. So a way to segue to that is I, I recently saw a trailer for the television show American Gods. It looks amazing. Thank I, you. I'm sure everybody is super excited. I want you to talk about that. But I wonder, we did produce a, a full cast recording of American Gods so, can you compare? Can you sort of say, okay, this is one experience, this is the other? Sure. Yeah, all right. Um, I mean, and it's fascinating. And, we, and we've and done it now a few times with, with different things. Um, with with the Graveyard book, Lovely. we have me doing a one-person audio book, and then we have a full cast audio with, with Derek Jacobi as the narrator and, and Mary, Miriam Margolis and all of these amazing people. And we've got... American Gods with George Guidal doing a fantastic solo read of the original book. And then when we re-released the author's preferred text, which is longer, um, we went and got, again, an amazing cast. And, um, and, and me, actually, I'm in there doing the, the sort of the more narratory bits of the stories within the stories, the coming to America bits. Um, and that was the last time I was actually, I think... Caitlin and I were trying to remember the last time I was probably in the studio recording yeah. um, something chunky. What's really fun is a full cast audiobook is it's 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 amphibian. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not a drama of the thing. It is the book. But the voices you are being given are voices of characters. Mm -hmm. And you don't have there are, there are things that are always frustrating or almost always frustrating when male narrators do female characters, when female uh, narrators do male characters. Very often it's, it's, it's odd and clunky and it throws you out when suddenly, you know, there, there are audiobooks. People talk about me doing audiobooks. They say, well, I, I love that you do your audiobooks. You should do all your audiobooks. And I say, well, that, that says maybe, but the best audiobook that anybody has ever done of one of my books, my favorite, is Lenny Henry, Sir mm -hmm. Lenny Henry. Yeah, yeah. Um, doing Anansi Boys. Yeah. 
And he, you know, any anything with four different little old Jamaican ladies in it. Um, and, you know, this enormous cast and, and Len does them all. And yeah. I wouldn't even try. I can write that stuff, but I can't say it. You do do a, a remarkable job. And you've won, you know, Audiobook of the Year and and many other many other awards from our I, industry. So we and we appreciate that, but we appreciate also these these amazing, you know, trained actors as well. Well, that's the that for me is is the, the joy of it. And you know, watching the American Gods TV series yeah, as it starts that. to take shape. Um, so where can one see it? And well, when? you'll be able to see it on Stars with a Z. Um, we know in, when. Uh, 2017, yeah. and I don't think they've they have a, announced official. the official release date yet, and I'm sure they will. Um, and I think it's going to be going out around the world a lot on the Amazon Prime network. Oh, yeah. They've done a deal, so, so that's going to be the easiest way to see it around the world. Perfect. Um, and how involved were you with that, Neil? I've been very involved, very, yeah. um, but I also that you you have it's always this sort of weird kind of balancing act mm-hmm. because there's this point where you go, I am not writing it, I'm not the executive producer, yeah. I'm not the showrunner, and over. I'm not there every day, so I can work with them. You know what's great is Brian Fuller and Michael Green, who are the showrunners, are fantastic writers, are imaginative, are brilliant. Um, They've done a lot of cool stuff, and and they've invented a lot of stuff, much of which is extrapolation from the book. Um, Or occasionally, it's stuff where they go, yes, but if you were doing the book today, Uh, you know, that was... I see. That was 2000. Now, if you're doing it now, you're going to have to do it like this. And I go, yeah, you're right. I see. Um, Even little things, like Laura... um, Shadow's wife oh, yeah, was do? a she was a she was a small town travel agent. Oh, of course. And <laughs> she would be unemployed. She if, would be unemployed now. So it was like we're going okay. Well, let's 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 give her a different that. job. She's no longer a small town travel agent because there are no small town travel agents. There are a few specialized ones around and yeah, online. And things. that's it. Yeah. But it's that kind of thing it where you're going. Adjusted, yeah. Well, you're going to go off and have fun. So far, they've. Done. I think the first series is going to be nine episodes long, and uh, it takes us up to. I, I don't know if I'm going to get into trouble for saying this, but it takes us to, but does not take us into uh, the gates of the house on the rock. So mm, for yeah, those of us, those people who know the book, yeah, you're about a third of the way through, and. Shit is already hitting the fan, so when we begin season two, even more shit will yeah, hit the exactly. fan. And as it is, you're going to get to see Ian McShane as Wednesday. He is amazing. Oh, yeah, he looks um, amazing. He was so born good. to play Wednesday. Uh, yeah. Um, this this absolutely marvelous cast. Uh, that you know, picking out anybody individually feels almost almost wrong. Yeah, because, it's really true. It, but they're really strong. It and, looked fantastic. And they're sending me stuff. They have fantastic directors. They've been shooting uh, on location in Oklahoma and up in Canada. And they've just filmed some stuff that's meant to have been in uh, off, off the shore of ancient Ireland, I think off the shore of ancient Nova Scotia. I was just going to say, somewhere thing. in Canada, yeah. I'm sure. 
And uh, sounds they're, terrific. They're having a wonderful time. And I've had a wonderful time. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I have to ask you to get back to work on reading your I need to get back to work. This, this book will not read itself. But thank you so much, Neil. And I'm so excited about Norse Mythology publishing on February 7th. And thanks to everybody who was watching. Thank you for watching. I was nervous. She I was really good. Nervous. Tell us she was good. All right. Bye, guys. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, and we certainly hope you do, please do subscribe to the podcast. That is easily done by going to your podcast app, searching for Harper Audio Presents, and clicking subscribe. We thank you very much for listening, and I thank very much the production support that I receive every week from Sharon Matlin and Nathan Rossborough. I couldn't do it without them. And tune in next week for another fascinating conversation from Harper Audio Presents.